Hooray! We are back in the shed. Well, actually, we're not. Um, it's just me, John. Um, we're not in the shed this week because myself and Jeff are real sick. Um, and we didn't want to leave Roger just to talk about soil sniffing and Bristol City for an hour. Um, so there is no shed this week, so we're very sorry. Um, but what we're doing is re-releasing an interview we did with uh, Leeds United legend and SBS and Optus pundit Michael Bridges um, that came out a couple of years ago. So we thought if you've missed it, you could listen to it again. Um, we are a bit gutted that we can't talk about the footy this week because there's been a huge amount of football. Um, Man United getting tonked this morning, Ajax beating Juve, which is awesome. Um, Salah scoring a wonder goal so that Liverpool are top of the league. Uh, Rogers Bristol City lost to Villa, which is brilliant. Um, but yes, yeah, Salah, we can't talk about it this week, but we will be back and healthier than ever next week. Um, and we will have end feature bets for you. I'll put them up on the Facebook so you can check, and they'll be on the website, footballshed.com. Um, but from myself, Jeff, and Roz, sorry we can't do this week. Um, but enjoy the Michael Bridges interview, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening, guys. Welcome to the Football Shed. My name's John Hewitt. Jeff King is here. Good day. And Roger Gibbs is here. Hello. No Dirk Cummings. No Dirk Cummings. Um, if this is the first time you've ever listened to the Football Shed, Dirk doesn't turn up that often. <laughs> he appears every so often. Um, and luckily you're listening to the first ever Football Shed special. Um, we are a weekly podcast. We come out every Thursday, Friday, Australia time. Three blokes from England, one from Australia, and we just talk about football for an hour, basically. But luckily... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the opportunity to interview uh, ex-Premier League legend and TV Australian TV superstar Michael Bridges. Living legend, <laughs> as I must say. Usually we uh, interview dead folk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Living legend. Um, and for the next hour and 15 minutes, we hope you enjoy it. If you do enjoy it, give us a review on iTunes, subscribe to iTunes, listen to us each week. You can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, Twitter... And if you want to ask us any questions, get involved, you can email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Look, I've just got to say, it's a bit shit that I didn't get to interview Michael Bridges. You did set this up. Oh, well, yeah, and, and I mean, admittedly, if Roger would have interviewed Michael Bridges, his negativity might have made him not living legend Michael Bridges. True. And Dirk would have just asked for Viduka stories yes. for an hour. I um, I feel a bit aggrieved that I didn't get to meet the living legend Michael. What well, is it because you're on holiday in Africa? But you're the only. I think it's because you're, you're, you're the only trustworthy member of of the of the shed. Oh, and I can get out of my job on a Monday afternoon. Yeah, good. So next time I'm in. Next time, yes. whether it's by anyone, I'm there. I'm there. Front of the line. Well, we hope you all enjoy, and uh, yeah, have a great time. Cheers, Michael. Welcome to the latest Football Sedge special with me, John Hewitt. Uh, unfortunately, there's no Jeff, Dirk or Roger with me today. It's me all on my own, apart from a special guest. Um, former Sunderland, Leeds, Newcastle, England under 21, Sydney and Newcastle jet striker. Now working in the media with SPS, Optus Sport and Nine Wide World Sport. It's Michael Bridges. Good to see you, John. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming, mate. Um, now, I don't know if you know much about Football Shed. But we start every episode with a question. Now, usually the question is to find out if this guy's going to go first to his point or whatever, who's going next. Now, you're the only person on, but I'm going to ask you a question anyway, just to make you feel awkward. How many games, according to Wikipedia, did you play for Sunderland? Oh, here you go. Right. 
Now this is going to show if I do look at Wikipedia and I check my own name out online. <laughs> Across three spells according to Wikipedia. Yeah, I was going to say, back and forth three times. Champions twice. I'm going to go for a 97. Oh, 98. Oh, <laughs> that's not a bad, not a bad guess. Somebody must have edited it since I've last looked at yeah, it. There you go. <laughs> so uh, starting at the start, Sunderland. Um, how did you first get into football? Like, where did the love come from? Where did it all begin? The the love stems from being in the northeast of England and having a family and a dad that was a mad footballer. He played for the the army and the police force as a player, and I think that's also where I get my injury proneness from because my dad's <laughs> nickname was um, Glass Legs. He always really snapped <laughs> his legs, so he definitely passed that gene on to me because I was always injured. Um, but yeah, living in the northeast of England, it was it was just the the thing ever since I was. Ever since I can remember having a football or a, a, a ball of wool, I do believe that was my mo- yeah. mother threw a ball of wool on the floor and I just allegedly went over and smashed it. Uh, my dad was like, oh, quick, got to go and get him a football. And I'd only just started to walk. And it was just a, uh, my father, I'm an only child, and I think everything was just put into me whenever we could go out and play football yeah. or do football. My dad was always mm-hmm. trying to get us to do soccer or, or golf and yeah. into loads of other sports. So I remember loving Football, playing football, yeah, and just kicking a ball against the wall when I wasn't playing football with my mates in the streets or the back lanes or at the local field, you know, just trying to beat your juggles. How many juggles can I do? Can I break my record of three? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Things like that. So it's, um, I still haven't beat my record of three to this day, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it was just a, a great fond memory. And the going up to the northeast, yeah, it's either Newcastle Sport or Sunderland, yeah. Uh, my family were black and white, it was Newcastle United from a young age, and used to love going to St James's Park with my dad and, and watching the thing and I was a big Chris Waddle fan yep. so it was more of the novelty of Chrissy Waddle did you grow the mullet? I did you know really sad <laughs> and I, I think I was at the time would have been 8 or 9 Look back you're in Australia now yeah no, there's loads of them over here there's <laughs> lot of keeps, everybody I see I keep, keep saying them I say are you a Waddle fan they're like who I was like Chris Waddle you've got the mullet mate and I, I loved I loved him and I tried to even walk like remember he had like a little bit of a a little bit of a, a, a limp or a swagger it was, it was strange and he left St. Yeah. Uh, James Park and he went to Tottenham and I, I remember crying for about two weeks and I'm not lying here, I was really upset yeah. it shattered all my my childhood memories of my hero mm-hmm. and shirts weren't ready available like they are now yeah. and I remember my dad came in the door this day it was two weeks after and he must have got in touch with one of his friends and the Met- Metropolitan Police that sent him a shirt up yeah, nice. Spurs shirt because he can't get them yeah, you can't get them and he threw us the Spurs shirt he said there you go stop crying he said you don't have to you can support Waddle again Awesome. And I remember saying, "Can I? Can I do that?" He was like, "Yeah, you can." And that—that that was where my love continued of being a, a Spurs fan. So are you a Tottenham fan today? Would you call yourself a Spurs? Yeah, fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, still, um, the result I look out for. Obviously, the, all the teams I've played for, yeah. um, or the other results I look for. But Spurs is finally, you know, something to be proud of. What? I still haven't won anything. But yeah. still, there's still something to be proud of. And I just love what Pochettino is doing. But yeah, it was definitely everything was to do with. Paul um, Gascoigne and Chrissy Waddle again. Well, Gaza was another one that came down there. So, yeah. so when you're a kid and uh, you're playing football and you're loving it, mm-hmm. at what point do you realise I'm actually quite good at this? Poor, that's, never happened to me. That's a great question. <laughs> do you know, that is a very good one. Because I tell I, I tell a, a story. I wasn't actually a good footballer as a kid. Mm. I just really loved it. Um, I used to work hard and everything I do. Like I say, it was if I had a football anywhere. It would be Still with us. I'd take it to bed, I would be in the street, whatever, in the hallway. And it wasn't until you start going through, we call them boys club football, 
um, Walls End Boys Club had a really renowned um, production line of players that went through amateur with Walls End Boys Club yep. from a five-a-side courts and went on to play professional football. So when you go, you can rattle the names off Steve Bruce, Alan Shearer, Lee Clark, Alan Thompson, wow. Steve Watson, Peter Beardsley. Uh, it, Michael Carrick is the only one still left that's playing professional. Wow. Yep. That came through that, that boys club. So I, <laughs> exactly. Well, I couldn't play for them because yep. I wasn't good enough to play for them yep. boys club. So I played for Whitley Bay Boys Club, which is my local seaside yep. town um, club. And we always either got promoted at the top league well, once we got there, then we got smashed every week and got relegated. Yeah. And you know, you weren't good enough to play for Walsingham Boys Club or Cramerton Juniors or, or Walker Central. They were the, they were the ones. And suddenly, one had a good game against Walsend. Next thing you know, would you like to come along? And that's when I, the first time I actually thought, "Hang on, you might have something yeah. a bit different here." And they moved us from a midfielder to a striker, and I was yeah. a midfielder. And when I became a striker, then all of a sudden I started scoring these goals, and I thought, "Right, you might you, you might have a chance." And I always wanted to be a professional footballer. Yeah. It's every kid's dream. I think all my maths books and English books had um, practice autographs in the back of them rather than actually <laughs> things that you were meant to do at school. And um, so you're at Wool's End. Yeah. Um, how does Sunderland come into the picture? Where's the next? Well, that's another classic story. So the obviously the family I've told you were, were black and white and Newcastle fans. So boys clubs at Wool's End yeah. and we that finished, I think that finished around about when I was 15. Yeah. And I'd been released by, I got spotted by Newcastle United playing for Wall's End yeah. as a junior. Um, Kevin Keegan and John Carver yeah. had the team. They got rid of all the youth policy. I was told I wasn't good enough. So the people that left, there's a guy called Peter Kirkley and Stan Nixon were the coaches mm. at Newcastle at the time. They left and went to Middlesbrough. Yeah. Took all the kids that got released and went to Middlesbrough and had a trial there for two weeks and sadly didn't get anything. So, you know, you're 15. Yeah, You've had two time. knockbacks. It's yeah. hard times, you're thinking, right. So I went back to, to college, sixth form college. Yeah because we had a really good school team yeah. and the lad said listen we'll stick together for one more year because we didn't win the All England Cup playing for the school let's do six form college yeah. some of you want to go to uni go and do it but let's have one crack at the All England and we had a goal scorer called Simon Foster yeah. all the scouts came to watch this kid and I, I tell this story because it, like I say I wasn't the best player it's about being in the right place at the right time and I was yeah. and Simon like I say goals, goes for fun every week it was Simon Foster 6 Simon Foster 5 I think it was 97 in the season he broke all the school records but all the scouts came to watch because at that age I was in August birthday I was the youngest player in the in the year at school which meant I could drop back as a YTS and yeah. go and do a scholarship so this scout turned up Jack Hicks in this day to watch Simon Foster he was injured he didn't play I scored 5 the scout turned to a parent on the sideline and said um, who's this who's this um, number 10 and he turned to my dad yeah. and my dad kind of went uh, oh, that, he said that'll be Bridges good, <laughs> good player good player he said well I've come to watch this foster kid he's not here and my dad turned and said well he's shit so you don't want, you know, you don't, you don't want him <laughs> he's crap so the, the, the scout bless him he'd said um, can he get his details so obviously my dad pretended he was going along the sideline yeah. wrote a telephone number and it backfired on my dad because he didn't ask where the scout was from oh. so when I'm waiting by the phone for the, for the phone to ring on the uh, Monday morning like a uh, I couldn't wait and it rang and sure enough Jack Hickson answered the phone who was the guy that spotted Alan Shearer so he's quite a famous North yeah. scout and he said we'd like to take you on a, a two week work experience yep. and call, call it a trial so I said oh, I'd love to he said if you just get your dad to drive you through the time tunnel to Sunderland <laughs> or you can get the ferry over and I remember just I remember thinking shit how am I going to tell my dad this he's got to drive us over to the enemy <laughs> So long story short, I went over there, I had a trial for literally, I was I had a two week trial, yep. 
I was there for two days and they offered me a YTS scholarship there and then said you know we, we yeah. want you here now so the only thing I had really sought out I was delighted I yeah. was ready to sign there and then was yeah. my school I still had my education to finish on the year's yeah. studies but they allowed us to do that over a two year period on a yes. one year course oh, great. which was great so um, in that that was it I, I never looked back this summer and thing and it didn't go down well with my dad I came in and said <laughs> I came into the kitchen and um, I remember saying to my dad um, you got to take us to to Sunderland you know and he, his words were um, I'm going to have to break your legs you can't do that so <laughs> he said it's, 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 it, doesn't, it doesn't happen I'm not going to be able to walk around these streets anymore and obviously we will never look back my dad just come every single match that I played whether it was youth team reserves or first team and became a, became a Sunderland fan did he? Yeah, so did he uh, change allegiance? Did he? He uh, did. Yeah. Did yeah. he have to move? Did he move out? He didn't. He didn't move out. He nearly had to. Uh, we got the wind. Got the car windscreen smashed. Got the car tires slashed. Um, and he wasn't allowed to drink in his local um, pub anymore at the top of the street. So that was that was a hard thing for him to to handle. Yeah. And but like I say, he he got rid of his season ticket in Newcastle. He lost. He's a, a is it allegiance or alliance or whatever you want to call it? And he he became a week so in week out. He's Sunderland. a Sunderland fan now. And we have another Sunderland brand in the room. Yes, we've got so, Ben in the room with us, just so lying the, on the couch with a hangover. Does your, uh, <laughs> does your uh, father now wish that he hadn't changed with the state that Sunderland are in? <laughs> is he thinking, oh, is it time to go back? Well, I've, I'd, it's, um, he's probably looking down from upstairs thinking, thank God I made a decision at the right time. Oh, sorry, <laughs> it's all good. No, no, it's all good, all good. Um, yeah, passed away a year and a half ago. But uh, he, you know, he's seen the good times at Newcastle. He's seen the good times at Sunderland, and he's. Um, it was just, it was just an amazing thing to actually see your father when you make a professional footballer, yeah. and you play, and you stand there, and you you see your father in the crowd, and you see him crying, and you think, God, if I could have taken a picture of this all the years ago when you were a Newcastle fan, you're sat in the stand at Sunderland crying your eyes out because your mm. son's wearing the red and white. It was just an amazing moment. Can you, like, as a player on the pitch, forty thousand, fifty thousand? Yeah. Can you spot family? You can, you can, because you know exactly where they're going to sit when you give them the tickets, <laughs> because you, you get you get allocated certain areas, and, and especially in the away matches, you know where, where to look. So I, I always used to look out for my, um, for mother and father and give them a little, you know, a little sly wave without looking too sad, or you know what I mean. <laughs> and it was and the other thing that you hear, people. I mean, some players say that they block out the fans. That you, you hear a lot of things. Yeah, really. You, you know, when you, whether they're chanting at you or they're shouting at you, or whatever, you take everything on board. So people I'd say they can block it out, I don't know how you can when you've got that many people shouting and screaming. The only time I did have trouble spotting my, my father was when I, I had the playing at the new new camp yep. against Barcelona for Leeds, we'll probably come to that later on, mm. but it was just, I couldn't find my mum and dad. There was a lot of people there. There was a lot of people, <laughs> and they, you know, you're up in the third tier, you're in, up with the gods, and I remember looking up thinking, where the hell are they, and I'm trying to pick them out, and then I saw the scoreboard and it said 4-0 Barcelona, I thought, shit, I better start a play here. <laughs> I bet turn so, around. Yeah, yeah. So Sunderland... Um, it was a bit yo-yo. Yeah. So you got into the first team and you got relegated. Is that right? Ninety-six, ninety-seven. Uh, I got in the first team. Someone were near the bottom of the table at the, at the st- um, when I first got in there. Under uh, Peter Reid came in and we were playing Huddersfield. And I'll never forget. I'd, I'd made my debut the week before against Port Vale. Yeah. At home and it was nil-nil. It finished and I came on for the last twenty minutes and somehow walked away with three man of the matches. I was only I would have been sixteen and a half, seventeen. So I couldn't drink, and I got two bottles of whiskey and a bottle of champagne. <laughs> so my dad was delighted. He confiscated them, and he drank them that night. Um, he gave me the, the man of the match award, and then I think it was the Huddersfield a week or two weeks later. Two one down at home, 
I came on and Kevin Ball I remember he looked at us there's a great bit of footage of Ball he looking at us and pointing at us and saying and I'm, I was shit scared of Ball he, I was he was a bit of a hard man he was a hard man he made Vinnie Jones scared of his nightmares yeah. man he was, he was tough <laughs> he's the only he's the only man that wanted to have it out with Vinnie Jones on the park he was brilliant he's a man that you'd want your team yeah. and I ran on the pitch and he was pointing as he going you're going to win this game for us you're going to do what you do in training and I was white I, you know, I was scared stiff I hey yes Bolly <laughs> and sure enough Cross came in um, got a header on it 2-2 yeah. and then Cross came in the last uh, five minutes of the game header right in front of the six yard box made it 3-2 and it was just like I couldn't believe you know you still yeah. pinch yourself to this day as a as a kid you see moments of magic like when R- Wayne Rooney against yeah. Freeze goal against, uh, for Everton against Arsenal you remember things like that and this was just something that will always stick with us and that was kind of how I arrived on the scene at Sunderland that season yeah. and it was a massive turning point in Sunderland's campaign that season because saved, like we pulled away from relegation yeah. secure that season because Peter Reid came in halfway through the year didn't yeah. he and you guys were struggling yeah and we're struggling and I got an opportunity because the lads weren't scoring there was injuries yeah. and basically came on the scene and that that there was a few fans have said that moment when that the fan got that feeling we got the three points that game that changed our whole season that year and it gave us such a good um, starting block going into the following season, and then we, you know, we were unstoppable and got and got promoted to to the Premier League, and it was just a, an amazing experience. And I, th- I would have been coming up my 18th birthday year. We got promoted the following year, and I remember sitting in the um, Rocker Park Hotel on the corner, and me and Sam Mason went in there. Two young lads. We didn't want to go into town because we were underage, and we went in there nice and discreet. And oh, it was just a most amazing night, dancing on tables. <laughs> Champagne bottles everywhere. Got the medal on. I've shared it, shared it with my mum and dad. And and Karen and Jim Morty from the um, the hostel came along. Who looked awesome. after me for two years when I was in a, a YT living under yeah. their digs. Just That's great. Just brilliant. Yeah. That's awesome. So you go up to the Premier League. Yeah. Get relegated again. Mm-hmm. And that was all. Did you get forty points and get relegated? Is that yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. And, we've got uh, we've got Ben giving us a thumbs up here yeah. on the couch. He's, he's just listening in here. Someone's yeah. <laughs> Let me just start a man. Say hi, Ben. Um, Hi there. <laughs> um, Forty points to get relegated is huge. Yeah. But then you go. So, so I'll never forget the, the the hardest thing about that season. We had a, a documentary called Premier League Passions mm. followed us around. So again, that's uh, it was a, a surreal moment having these camera crews follow TV us everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, and that was when you got Peter Reid swearing thirty times in like one minute. I was going to say, what was t- he like to play under? He was a he's a bit hot headed, wasn't he? He was hot headed, uh, hot headed. Yes, um, but what he did, he got the best out of players. Yeah. He, I saw two sides Peter Reid I saw the Peter Reid that was a manager that you'd run through a brick wall for a team bonder you'd take the lads away for for the for the weekends after the matches and keep you know keep everybody together he, he got the best out of players that he brought up from lower divisions he'd give them that inspiration and he had a great assistant manager in Bobby Saxon who was a tactical yeah. genius yeah, okay. so really was a manager I call people people Managers, there's the, the big thing about these days. People say coach, you know, your coaches, right? You've got your clops that are on the training ground, Pochettino, mm-hmm. your your Pep Guardiola's. They're the managers and the coaches. Yeah. You know, they'll do everything. Coaching, coaching. I'm going back to when it was Alex Ferguson. I never mm-hmm. saw. He taught Rio Ferdinand the lads. Yeah. Fergie never took a session. Fergie was the manager. He left all it was assistants and let them do the jobs. Yeah. You knew Fergie was there. Peter Reid. When you knew when Reid came into that training ground, that your manager was there. Everybody was on alert. Yep. He went to training park. He was there observing, or he was taking part. Yep. He still wanted to run around. <laughs> Bobby Saxon took the sessions, and that was—I um, remember that was the authority he had. Now, whether that's right or wrong back then, it was right. Whether yep. it's right or wrong now, I don't care what what yep. coaches do. Everybody's different. He knew what his role was, yep. and that's what I loved about him. He gave him give him my chance, and the only thing that we did 
obviously have a, a big fallout of was my contract negotiations towards the end of my contract which didn't go smoothly because there was different agents and things involved yeah. and that's the only thing I really tarnished from my time at Sunderland um, and with Reedy was was at the end of the day the man management of a young kid came into question yeah and um, so you've gone you got relegated and then you get to a playoff final and you draw four all yeah and lose on penalties yep did Mickey. you play in that game no, I got uh, went down to Wembley. Amazing, amazing thing. Obviously, you look forward to that because I remember the hurt from the season before was Coventry delayed their kickoff by 15 minutes. We played Wimbledon, and Coventry knew what they had to do because we were already relegated and got beat, so the pressure was off. So that was that was a real thing. But we got on the bus that 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 um, after that game at Wimbledon, and really said we're going to have a go next year, lads. We get promoted straight back up. And like you say, to come so close. I'm in the dressing room at Wembley to where every kid's dream you want to be and I thought this place is shit <laughs> the dressing rooms were, dressing rooms were minging yeah. it was old school and I'm thinking hang on a minute this is what's going on this is on the here? dream apparently this is the dream this is what I'm you know the go- <laughs> I used to, used to think, see this on TV the FA Cup finals and stuff and I'm thinking oh I'd love to get there one day and play there and when you get there you're kind of like what a letdown this is you know what I mean so that was and then the, the even worse letdown was when really name, named the team mm-hmm. and you're not in the team you didn't expect to because we had Quinny and Phillips yeah and you think I'm going to be on the bench here, make an impact. It's a, and I wasn't even on the bench, and I was like, oh, what's going on here? And I was really, I was devastated. But you sit there, you watch the game go on, and you know, you become a fan. You, you're running out with the emotions, and it gets so close and so far. And then Mickey Gray to get cramped when he's taking his penalty. So I Well, no, that's his excuse. That's you know what I mean? Because basically, it's just an absolute Mick. If you, you know, you probably, <laughs> it was just a crap penalty. Let's yeah. be honest with it. You know. And um, I, I'm always dodgy about left footers taking penalties. I'm sorry for offending people, but I remember Chrissy Waddle missing. I remember Stuart Pierce missing. I remember Mickey Gray missing. It's, the left footers have played a, a horrendous part in my football and childhood of penalties. <laughs> and uh, Mickey was one of them. Sport. The the best thing about it, Mickey was upset. The lads gathered around him. The, you know, fans are devastated. We we got back on that bus, and we'd actually the players' wives and partners had come down with their families yeah. in two buses because we were ready to take the trophy back up yeah, the yeah. motorway and celebrate together. So what happened? The gaffer got on the bus after the game. There was two buses that, and we were going to interact with the families because yeah. we came down separately. And I'll never get really got on the bus and he said, lads, get all the women off, get back on that bus, all the boys are together on this bus. And they're thinking, oh, I can see Kevin Ball thinking, oh, God, my missus is going to kill me now, you know, I'm not going to see them for another day. <laughs> so after everybody got off the bus, really said, right, he said, this bus back to Sunderland we are stopping off at every pub on the way back we're going to get blitz we're going to put this behind us and we are going to go up as champions next season if every one of you can stay together and guarantee me you'll stay together on this bus we're going to get promoted next season and we're going to make it up to Mickey Gray or Mickey Gray is going to make it up to us the bastard and, then you go and, and what did we do? And what did we do? We went up with a record number of points. I think it was. It was 105 points or something ridiculous. Yeah, and it was just untouchable. Yeah. Uh, Lee Clark came in, captain. What was that team like? That that Sunderland team was at 98, 99. Yeah, special. You had Phillips and um, Quinn. Quinn. So there was. What I remember about that team is the, the like you say the camaraderie, the, the the players that we had. There was two players for every position specific. Yep. So when Quinny was injured, Danny Diccio played very like for yep. like. Yep. When Kev Phillips was injured, smaller stature, yeah. I was in. Yeah. The 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 policy, the, the wing wing backs, well yeah. not the wing backs, like left back at the time, yeah. Mickey Gray, had Alan Johnson in front of him. Yeah. Two players that one could go inside in his right foot, John or Magic Johnson, brilliant player, Mickey could do the overlap. On the other side, Nicky Summerby, yeah. um, Chrissy Macon, another great partnership. We just 
but every position had somebody with the equal ability playing in behind and knew your roles. You know, there was no animosity. You knew you were going to get your chance. It was just a, in a, a very, very strong team that had stuck together. And did you have Thomas Soros winning goal that year? It was one of yeah, yeah. Tommy, Tommy was there. And, uh, did you Melbourne, have... Melbourne base now. I was so. going to say, well, is, there, is there any connection? Did he talk to you before he came out here? Did he no, he didn't. I mean, uh, most of the English lads that have come out here, uh, Robbie Fowler, mm. Franny Jeffers, Emil Heskey, I've had some form of activity or involvement yeah. with yeah. them and trying to sell them the country and yeah. tell them that it's not too hot, you know, there's no snakes, there's no spiders. <laughs> Fill them with all the bullshit that, that goes with it. And then... <laughs> Robbie Fowler ends up in Townsville where it's 99 degrees there's no humidity and you can't Snakes go swimming because well the box jellyfish and you can't hear <laughs> a Ganges and I'll never forget he rang us up he said this is minging up here <laughs> I said well they went in the league when I said but um, yeah so Tommy didn't I didn't have any idea that Tommy was mm. coming when I saw he was coming I was absolutely delighted that it, you know because Australia's renowned for goalkeepers mm. I'll give him credit for that yeah. and there's not a lot of goalkeepers in this league are used as visa players when the yeah. City group took over that that philosophy obviously or that yeah. kind of thing went out the window and they're like we, we want a guy that's played a lot of games can be a mentor for the club spread the word and I just think it's a great thing oh, he's brilliant. Yeah. Is he, yeah. he's still, the still there just spoke him this morning and he is working as a, a mentor and a go-between for Joycey he's right. part time so they obviously keep an eye on the two goalkeepers are there probably separating them from fighting <laughs> you know the comp- competition <laughs> uh, you just use him as a bit of a mentor for the city group as well as yeah. Melbourne because he's, he loves the country here yeah and, um, and, he's say, and he's going through his badges process. Yeah. So I think in the, in the long, you know, the, the aim of the game would be to keep him on board once he's finished off his, his badges, and then he's, he could have a job for life. Um, last bit on Sunderland, just a bit of a side note. Peter Reid was there for four or five years, and he got promoted, relegated, promoted, relegated, promoted. Do you think teams nowadays should look back at that kind of mentality? Because after Sunderland got promoted with you guys in '99, finished sixth or seventh in the league the year after in the Premier League, yeah. and that's you, there was a team, there was a unity there that was built by Peter Reid, and everyone believed in it, everyone bought into the system. Yeah. And you look at like Frank de Boer getting fired after four games, and Shakespeare going after however many. Do you think teams need to chill out a bit and look at that kind of older model? Teams would love to. I think club. People that are in scout and recruitment, people that are inside them clubs that understand football and want to have a a structure and long term success, yes. Owners don't give a shit. Don't give a shit and don't <laughs> see the long term. They don't yeah. they don't they want instant success. Yeah. They haven't got a you know, even some teams haven't got a five or ten year plan. They they might not even be owners in that, that length of time, you know what <laughs> I mean? So I, I I hate I hate the fact that that is that is the case because it's a, it's a shambles and a, you know, I think what's happened with Sunland recently with money that's been taken out of the football club by people who are non-football people that have been signing players falsely and wrongly that have got no football knowledge so sometimes I wonder how people get jobs in football that have got no football background I see it with the FFA in Australia I don't mind saying that I don't see some yeah. there's decisions that are made <clears throat> by non-footballing people that get advice off so-called yeah. football people but I don't know whether it goes in one ear or the other so there's a lot of things can be learned from What's gone on the past, like under really, when you go up and down, up and down, you it, you keep people together. Yes, stability does work in the long run, yeah. um, without a shadow of a doubt. Like I say, just these days you haven't got time for it. Because I saw Crystal Palace playing and could see them starting to get some form. They were form beginning in. to do something. They were starting to gel. They were starting to come together, and they had a tough run of games. Yeah. Don't you know? And especially since Roy took over, but you could see something coming and developing. The other thing I look at is when um, um, Swansea. 
um, Paul Clement. Yeah, uh, but even before him, they, yeah. before they got um, Bob Wadley. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the, the guy before him, I think, uh, what was the guy's name? Guidlin. Yeah, Guidlin. Yeah. Starting to play some very nice football. Yeah. The American owners didn't see that style of play. All they saw was, oh, there was results. And I remember thinking every week, they're almost getting there. They're going to start getting a few results here yeah. coming. Americans got, got rid of them. They yeah. said, oh, we want an American guy in. Let's get Bob Wadley because he's got... No, no, no experience in the Premier League. This and that threw him in the deep end. Became a laughing stock on yeah. on the social medias and soccer and things like that, which was pretty funny to watch. Bob Wadley get smashed. <laughs> I've it, heard he, he looks like a skull in a condom. That's my uh, best description of him. That's a, I've actually got that picture in my head now. So yeah, it's not <laughs> not a pretty sight. But it's uh, that. But that's what it's, it's. It's it's rubbish, man. It should yeah. it should be the old school and give give people time, and that's what I, I'm a big believer in. But again, the, the money talks. Yeah. Well, talking of uh, being committed and staying with people, you left Sunderland. <laughs> yes. Um, but you got your big money move to Leeds. And, uh, Do you know how that came about? No, how did it come out? So I got sold. I did, me and Alan Johnson at Sunderland refused to sign a new extension contract. Yep. Um, because, like I say, there was a few things going on with, with agents and uh, at Sunderland. So we got left behind on the Sunderland pre-season camp. The lads went to Denmark, I think, or Sweden. And me and John got a train with the youth team at Sunderland. Oh. So big reality call, big weight up call, but we were the best players there. It was brilliant. You know, we were taking on five and six players and the kids <laughs> and none of the kids none of the kids were getting contracts because we were dancing around them. But I got this call uh, off Peter Reid and he said, Listen, you've got what you wanted. I've just agreed a deal for Tottenham Hotspur. You're going. I've agreed five point five million with Alan Sugar. Get yourself there, George Graham, see you later, son. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, Oh my god, this is it, this is happening. So, club of sported I'm ready so straight away got in the car um, drove down to London with my agent got down there uh, we met George Graham obviously Mr Arsenal yeah. Spurs manager <laughs> trying to sell me the football club of Tottenham Hotspur which was brilliant yeah. I'll never forget yeah. I'm thinking you're full of shit <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah Tottenham this Tottenham that I said you're doing all your Arsenal I said just to let you know there was him and David Plickler sat there and I said you guys I'm Spurs let's just get this done yeah and just then this Rolls, Rolls Royce pulled up out the front it was um, Alan Sugar <laughs> a big blue Rolls Royce the driver and George said oh Alan wants to come and say a few words before you sign and I'll never forget he walked in and he just basically he said I haven't got much I haven't got much time young man didn't even shake my hand he said I haven't got much time young man he said you're not getting the money that your agent wants he said I've never heard of you he said I've heard you're a summer reserve player but I'm putting my faith in Pleaty who's a good chief scout and Graeme that wants you to score goals I'm putting in five and a half million you don't get much for your money he said, welcome to the club. I haven't got much time. I'll see you later. And now wow. he walked. And I just remember thinking, I mean, I'm, I would have been 19, 20 yeah. at the time. And I just, I, from the northeast, coming yeah. down to London, it was strange anyway, yeah, but I'm going to Spurs. You know, yeah. I didn't give a crap. And I just looked at my agent. I tapped him. And I said, excuse, get me out of here. Yeah, Let's go. Man. And George Graham went, oh, what a dickhead he was. <laughs> and George Graham said, what a dickhead about sugar. And um, he said, listen, he'll be fine. That's just him. He said, he's, he's probably just testing me. I said, no, get me. So as I left Tottenham, yeah. devastated. You know, the dreams are, dreams are finished. I'm driving back towards Sunderland. And we got a phone call. Leeds had heard that I hadn't signed for Spurs. So the phone went again to my agent. And he said, um, it was Peter Reid again. Yeah. And he said, put Michael on, please. So he spoke to him. He said, Bridgie, he said, I don't know what's going on down there. He said, I've had to do another deal. He said, stop off at Leeds on the way up. Oh, great. The rest is history. Done. Walked in, met O'Leary, met Ridgie, shook the hand. Watched the Leeds lads, the youth team, like the youngsters, the year before, on a regular basis. Thinking, wow, what a team this is! This, this is this is going to be place. something special. And as soon as I heard what they had to say, they wanted the best, sign the best young talent in the country. They showed us Danny Mills was there, Dubu was there. They said we we're going to get Huckabee next after you. Um, 
I wish I'd have put a bet on that actually. You know what I mean? <laughs> they give us a heads up two weeks prior. So you go into Leeds, and yeah. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's just left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're there to replace him. Yeah. Um, you work, walk in the changing room. Lucas Radibi, Nigel Martin, yeah. Lee Bowyer, Gary Kelly, David Batty, yeah. Alan Smith. Shitting yourself? Completely. Actually, pinch myself and go, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm not good enough to be sitting in this dressing room with all these, with all these absolute legends that are there. And it was just quality. It was you could feel a good, good atmosphere. Yeah. Good. It was, it was one and all in. It was a. They made us feel so welcome. And I knew, some youth team we couldn't beat Leeds United youth team when they had Woodgate, Hart, McPhail, Harry Kewell. They, they smashed everything. Paul yeah. Robinson and goal. They won everything. We yeah. couldn't beat them. So to actually, be part of this group thinking, what am I doing here? These have a kid like Andy Gray was there. Yeah. Um, another lad. I can't think of his name. The, the winger Smithy, not Alan Smith. There was another one. Oh, but obviously Alan yeah. didn't name Alan Smith. So, it, I didn't belong there. I've got to be honest with you, I didn't belong there. Yeah. But what happened, because I'd played with Sunderland players, good team, good player, I went to a new level. They talk about international players on a regular basis now. And training, my for some unknown reason, my game and training went a long, long way. Yeah. I was playing with better players. My brain was working in ways that had never worked before. Eddie Gray was an amazing coach give us loads of advice and we were playing with the freedom and the other thing that we were I was as fit I was never been as fit I had the longest and hardest pre-season to play catch up because I'd been left out of the and it was the best I've ever ever been and that it it just something just felt right and it it just worked worked. yeah and that first season you scored 19 goals in the Premier League yeah finished third in the league yeah you were top at Christmas yep <laughs> that was our downfall <laughs> that was a downfall like we got carried away the, the game that was sent us top was Derby County Harry Keel took a massive dive in the penalty area yeah. um, something like oh, it was Swan Lake you'd say at the ballet <laughs> and I can't believe the referee did it there uh, he did game. whilst he was in the air oh Harry did everything yeah, there was a mirror there and, he'd, and, he'd, and then it was up to Ian Hart to step up put the penalty away we ran off 1-0 we got back to the Peacock pub opposite Elland Road yeah. top of the league and we got a lock in there for the guy we didn't have a game for another week and we got absolutely smashed and we're singing champion and we're like big downfall lads yeah. you know the, the crow crows early when you're yeah. pissed it wasn't good I well, never, I maybe that comes from like it was an experience it was it was young yeah. it was young yeah the senior boys weren't there I think if David Batty had been there and he heard us acting like that he would have probably knocked a few of us out and said yeah. to, to, to get your heads in line yeah. we got carried away a little bit that, that night how was David Batty's play with was he uh... it's, it's funny about Batty he was the best player he's the most underrated man I've ever played with yeah really just because he's known as a tackler and a runner, a spoiler, yeah. rather than a player. And he, he won the, every time he won the ball, he gave it to players that could play. Yeah. And Batty was the, he, he had a job. Yeah. And he, he did the job brilliantly. But the, the craziest thing, when I remember saying to Bats, so what are you going to do after football on the bus one day? He, I said, he went, oh, I'll probably open up a start me on motorbike racing team. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so he loves Super GP. Yeah. Okay. In the, yeah. yeah. That was that well, was, that was it. Yeah. yeah. I said, do you watch football after? Nah, nah, nah. MotoGP, and he was a rev head, petrol head. Wow. Incredible. No so a man that's made a career. I mean, battle bats. Well, if you look back and some of the interviews that bats has done, if you can find any, because he was like Paul Scholes, he, yeah. he did nothing. He was, you know, just went went home from training. And when we, I'll never forget, he's coming his motorbike every now and again at the training ground. Obviously, we're not in tune to do it, and then Gaffer would go mental, and you just see him in his Ducati doing wheel spins, and he was just a mad, mad <laughs> bastard, but a great, great player. And at that time, did you room with Harry Kill? Yeah, Harry. Well, I first started off room with Michael Dubry. Yep. Michael Dubry was my roommate. Chelsea, Chelsea yeah. boy. So we we signed at the same time. We lived in the Alton Hall Hotel together. Um, great time, great lad. We always playing. I mean, 
you know, we do computer games. It was Pro Evo Soccer or FIFA or WWF wrestling game on the old Nintendo 8. Shake, <laughs> shake the joypad and try, you know, all that kind of crap. And then I became, because me and Harry live next door to each other, yeah. um, we we um, started rooming together. And it was, yeah, it was um, just a good lad, like me, the brother I never had. Yeah. And everything we did, it was competition. So whether it was a computer game, whether it was pizza eating, whether it was golf, yeah. whether it was down a bottle of beer the quickest, whatever it was, we were competitive at everything we did and how, pushed each other. How good was Harry Kewell at that age? Like, because what, he was 19? Yeah, just a freak, freak. absolute yeah. freak. Um, he got rid of the long mullet, thankfully, yeah. and started, you know, like you were saying before, you know, he, he loved combing his hair, grooming himself. He became changed from like being this Aussie mullet boy into this glamour <laughs> pinup boy. Um, but what he, what he did was frightening. And what I'll what I will say about Harry, he was a professional. He worked damn hard. He was the first one in the train. He was the last one to leave. He, he was a true professional, but he was thick as pig shit. <laughs> one of the thickest. For him, there was uh, there was a few footballers. Him and Sean Thornton, that's someone were the two of the probably the thickest men I've ever come across. Amazing. But uh, yeah, Harry Harry was for his age just a freak, and he had he had two tricks that he would do. He could shift the ball from with his left foot from left to right. Uh, sorry, inside outside, and he'd always shoot across goal. And you, they're just the pace of them. You know when players glide. Yeah, and that kind of kind of way. Yeah. Just Harry was like that. Yeah, Harry was exactly like that. And that's, that's why it was a joy to play alongside somebody like that. Because if you have a look, I look back at the goals that I scored at Leeds, and it's normally always Harry Kewell setting me up, which yeah, I would well. never give him credit for. But <laughs> fuck, we had a good relationship. And one last thing on that first season. Yeah. You got nine yellow cards. I got nine. Yeah. Did I? According to Wikipedia again. Yeah. Well, they. Um, God. Were you a dirty fucker? Like, what is this all about? <laughs> I think I must have got that off Alan Smith. David Batty got like 18. So. Yeah, I was going to say, well, it would have, would have been Batty and Batty and um, Smithy would have yeah. definitely been up there with the Reds and the Yellows. I got nine. Yeah. I remember being suspended, but but you know what? It's strikers are shit at tackling. Yeah. So I, I reckon I, I must have lunged in for a few. I'm not, I wasn't a dirty player. I was, I was soft as crap. Um, but I think it was just mistimed ta- challenges. But I didn't know that stat, so thank you. <laughs> um, so at the end of that season, bit of kind of a downer on it all, but you go to the UEFA Cup semi-final and... Um, in Istanbul, and sadly, two Leeds fans uh, yeah. killed. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah. Um, before it's just before the game. Yeah, so before you? the night before the game. Yeah. How did the, scope, the squad cope with that? How did you guys deal with it? The, this was the, I think this is the defining moment in our season. You talked. I talked about the Christmas period. Mm. We were youth, young and naive. Don't get us wrong, but we that thing. The whole team found out that two of our true fans, that a lot of the lads knew personally, because yeah. they used to look after us when we were when we were out and about in town and things like that. And they were good guys. We'd share them to give tickets out, you know. And yeah, okay. So two people that were, we wanted the game can cancelled. If that had happened in England, I do believe that we would have been kicked out of the tournament. Yeah. Leeds, if that had gone on, it's for, yeah. for some yeah, reason. Like, yeah, it would have been major news because yeah. of hooliganism and stuff like that. So for for the game to actually go ahead, we were just shell shocked. We didn't want the game to go ahead. We tried. We tried to turn that around, use it to our advantage, and say we're going to go out and beat them. But mentally, we were just absolutely broken because this takes game and f- it, it's life over football, yeah. and it didn't sit well with us. And it was really hard to swallow. And we were just more paid off at the game, pissed off that the game had gone ahead. Yeah. So we get back. It was an intimidating place anyway, without all the crap going on. I remember collecting all the coins. It was like you know, on the park, Harry, Harry went to take a corner and about twenty thousand pounds worth of bloody, well, whatever it is in there, whatever it is in there, their, their country, they, they, you know, the late Turkish lira. It was just smashing them in the corner. So again, those things went on. Like you think, how are they getting away with this? This should be reported, but it did. It was allowed. We came back, and I think the first game back, 
you'll have to check this one out I'm sure it is was Arsenal at home we went out and gave flowers to all the fans around the ground we went out I remember the lads we all had a bunch of flowers and we all took them over different parts of the ground to pay respect football had kind of become a second thing and mentally we we were young yeah. and we, yeah. we'd gone yeah. in that game I, I, can't, I can't think it was a 3-1 three, three, or 4-1 we got we got smashed and that our season just went you know down down and down yeah. But we're still looking back and reflecting and thinking, oh, lads, it doesn't, doesn't, matter. doesn't matter. There's two, two of our yeah. boys have gone and we want to pay them as much respect as we could and try and get results, but we couldn't. Yeah. So I think that was that was a thing that, that shot our season down. But you still finished third in the league. Yeah. So you get to the Champions League next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and in your group, you get Besiktas, no one really cares, but you get Barca and Milan. So you're in a group, Champions League, first yeah. ever. Yeah. You could have got someone where you get Barca and Milan. Yeah. What's your first thought? Holy shit! This is like playing championship manager on the computer, and I'm actually going to take part. <laughs> this is this is the moment. This is what dreams are made of, you know. When you when I used to um, do me stats on champ manager and try and like <laughs> jazz it up and get myself to this, to one of them the clubs. Yeah, and I mean I think Barcelona I had a Barcelona shirt when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and I remember we- wearing the shirts because it's, it's you know it's around around the world yeah. and it was something that, thank you as we crack open another beer no no worries is that allowed of course <laughs> and now actually get that group draw was it was incredible you look at that and you think right this is it we're on here lads we're playing against best teams in the world you've got to turn it on you had no intention I mean you look back you want to win the group but when you see them two teams you think you know what I mean this is our first time they're looking at us as the minnows yeah. they're thinking oh this is this is going to be um, child's and play and young side as well yeah young Inter-tree side kids. Yeah. and we held our own yeah. absolutely held our own and if you you want to like I said that story about Barcelona but the, the one that stands out for me I was uh, I was telling Ben this when I went up to do a Q&A for his, his team up in, in Brisbane Peninsula Power we were um, shirt swapping yep. I used to collect shirts loved it so when I saw not many lads did actually, which I'm surprised. Yeah. You know, you look back, and I, I love looking back and being proud of my collect- collection that I've got. got still yeah. got them all, yeah. And this is where it comes back to what the, what the lads have done with mine. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I always, I'm always fascinated. So we're playing AC Milan. I've got Costa Curta marking me, and I've got Maldini over the other side, Martin Harry Kuehl. <laughs> now, no disrespect to Costa Curta, I want Maldini's shirt at the end <laughs> of the game. So when it gets about 90 minutes on the clock, we're winning one nil. I still can't believe that we've, yeah. we've got the result. You know, we're beating beating Milan. I thought, right, I'm going for Maldini's shirts. I went over at Maldini, the whistle went, and I looked at him, I said, uh, you know, can I have your shirt? He said, no, no, cool. <laughs> I was like, oh, bastard. So I remember running to Cattuso and asking for his shirt, and he swapped with McAfee or something. So anyway, I went back to Costa Kurt, I tabled between yeah. my legs, I said, you want to swap shirts? Yeah, hey, no problem. So anyway, because we'd knocked AC Milan out of the tournament, yeah. out of the group stage, which was incredible, we're celebrating, but they did a lap of honour around Elland Road not just for their fans they actually went around and clapped wow. and gave our fans an ovation and said you know well well, well done which I hadn't seen before no. for a team and as we're walking off I'm saying hey the lads whose who shirt you got you know great win boys whose shirt you got and I showed them I said I've got Costa Curta you know and they got, I said you got Maldini and as we look there's Costa Curta he threw mine away into the Leeds United end so he must have looked at the back of the name <laughs> gone Bridges here but no idea who he is there you go so he took it in <laughs> So um, yeah, That's God knows what all the other lads have done with mine, but I've got Frank De Boer, Aldeir from Roma. Um, obviously, like I was just saying, they're Costa Kurt, and I just love collecting shirts. So and Frank De Boer, so you played in the new Camp. Yes. Um, yeah. You lost 4-0. Yeah, yes, it was, 4-0, 4-0. But what was that like, playing in the new Camp? Like, coming out oh, into that, it must have been... 
It was it was amazing. The the biggest mistake me and Alan Smith made before the game when we went for a stadium tour, we went for a walk. You went to go on the pitch, but we sort of looking at everything down yeah. the tunnel. They've got a chapel. If anybody does a stadium tour of the new camp, look at the chapel down the tunnel on your right. There's two wooden doors. And me and Smithy were curious and we burst these two doors open just to find like all these candles lit. There was the, the cross, and cross at the bottom, there's a guy with his shirt off praying. And he turned around, it's Rivaldo. <laughs> and he must have put a curse on us because me and Smithy shut the doors and we're like, oh, that was Rivaldo, Rivaldo, oh, that was amazing. And he was praying for the game and obviously it worked. Wow. Because but, but, so, we went out and got smashed and there was Clyde. What was amazing, that, that team, the impact of the influence of the Dutch, there was um, Koku, the Boer brothers, Clivert, Overmars. Overmars. And I'm not sure if Giovanni was there still. Was Van Gaal coach at the time? Don't, I don't know. Don't know. Remember. Good question. Don't know. Yeah. Can't remember. I wasn't bothering the coaches back then. Yeah. I was just bothering yeah. the players. But uh, yeah, Rivaldo, and just to just to be on the same team, on the same team sheet as them, hear the Champions League music. Yeah. That was the pinnacle of my career yeah. because I used to get, I still get goosebumps when I watch the TV now and listen to that music and still yeah. think, what the hell were you doing in the park with some of them players? You know what I mean? Have you ever watched that game back? Do you ever watch any of the old games? I do when they come up on social media, yeah, yeah. and it, it's it's nice to have a look back at, at them things and when when clubs and that put out. But I don't actually sit down and, and go through, them, especially when you get beat four yeah. nil. If it won four nil, then maybe I would. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so uh, before we get onto the bad news of injuries, um, when you're at Leeds and everything's going well yeah. a lot of young guys is there any inkling of the financial rumblings that's going on is there any inclination that like this is going tits up behind the scenes or no idea no idea whatsoever not, not at the time I think a couple of the players must have known because the story that's come out now is that the Mark Verduca and um, Dominic Matteo actually were owned by a company or a business in Leeds so Leeds had sold them yeah, wow. Not to another football club, but it sold them as independent value with the assets wow. to get funds in. So the Dukes and Dom must have known what they were signing. Yeah. So that they were guaranteed to get their payments and things like that. So they would have had an inkling, but to, for them to keep it obviously kosher and under wraps and all that, none of, none of the players knew about that. The day we knew something was going on was the day when we were actually all sitting in the canteen having food and two guys came in and took the fish tanks out. <laughs> and they, they confiscated the fish and I remember looking at Mary I said what's going on Mary she went um, oh, the, the club are struggling they can't afford the fish food now and we're all eating our dinner but the poor bastard fish are getting, <laughs> getting taken out because there's no fish food for them you know and I was thinking this is this has hit rock bottom here and this is that, that's when the, the shit hit the fan and I'll the funniest part about this I'll never forget I'm saying funny it's not really funny it's, Le- it's Leeds United's future the guy Gordon Taylor yeah. works for the footballers yeah, PFA yeah came in to see the players and he, he was telling us what was going on um, you, hadn't, you might be struggling to get paid in going forward what do you want to do do you want to strike do you want to take wage deferrals and things like that so he came in to have a big discussion and all the lads are looking around going where's this come from what's going on so Gordon Taylor said I don't want you to say anything to anybody this is all in house this is not going to go anywhere yeah. so we're trying he said I need an answer do you want to wage defer what's the best thing are we going to how, who's happy to leave and things like that so I remember going back upstairs to the, to the canteen again, we all just sat, well there wasn't a canteen there anymore, we all just went and sat on the, on the chairs upstairs and we were having a, a chat in, in-house without him. Bearing in mind, keep everything in-house, don't speak to the media. Yeah. So football clubs, you've got Fox, uh, Sky News so yeah. over there. Who's at the end of the training ground? Obviously all the press are there. 
Gordon's told us not to go out. So as we as we see, so we've got a live feed coming in from Sky Sports, and we're looking at the TV screen, and uh, there's Gordon Taylor saying, "Well, I've spoke to the lads, and uh, they're not happy to take wages for us, so I'm going to be moving on, and we'll we'll discuss it next week." And we're going, "Hang on a minute, mate. <laughs> <laughs> keep it all in house." So that was an absolute disgrace what went yeah. on back then, and that's when we we realised everything was happening. And I didn't stay much longer after that because Eddie Gray said, "There's no future here for you. You'd been injured. Yeah. Um, are you happy to be one of the lads that offloads? So you're not going to be needed anymore." And I, he said, "Bobby Robson will take you at Newcastle United." Yeah. And I was like, "Wow, yeah." I said, "I, I don't want to leave because I still feel I've got a point to prove. I've got six months of my contract left, um, and I want to repay the Leeds fans and the money that you've invested in me." Yeah. And I never got that. And Eddie, to be fair, and he said, "Listen, well, it's not going to happen. I'm, you're not going to be in my plans and going forward." Yeah. He said, "So I said you go and have another chance." And I, I never got that. I never got the chance to thank the Leeds United fans for for what I'd done. Yeah. I was basically just off and just got to Newcastle and yeah. got out of there because there was so much else going on. It wasn't just about me saying, "Oh, thanks for having us and all that rubbish." So it, um, it was a yeah, it was a. I was a really sad day actually. And um, talking of injuries, um, and you can tell me to not talk about this if you want. Yeah. Injuries got to be really pretty hard. Yeah, yeah get yeah. you down. Yeah. Like you said, you suffered from depression a bit in, in regards to that. Like, how did you cope with that? How did you get through that? Well, the first first year, I didn't. Um, I didn't actually struggle. The first injury I had, I'd snapped my um, tib and fib, uh, dislocated the ankle bone, but I snapped the three ligaments around the ankle bone. So the, the lad that's at the Newcastle Jets at the moment, um, Ronnie Vargas, yeah. did a very similar injury to what it, what I'd done. But he did, thankfully, hasn't snapped his three ligaments or tendons around the ankle joint, and. He's done the, the fracture, so you're talking yeah. seven, eight months. Yeah. Because of what I'd done, I was told I would never play ever again by a surgeon. He said he'd seen it in a motorbike accident before. And he said, I suggest you take your, your insurance money. Long story short, the physio, Dave Hancock, saved, saved my career. Yeah. He said, listen, it's going to be, if you're happy to give us 15 months of your time, I'll get you back playing. Might not be yeah. first team leads, he said, but I will get you 15 more years in football if you awesome. stick, stick with us. Brilliant. So I had a target, I had a yeah. goal set. We had highs and lows. We had arguments on the way, but it was you know, I was used to going to train at nine o'clock in the morning and being home by one in the afternoon. When you're injured and you're going through all that, it was seven a.m. in the morning. I was getting back at six a six p.m. and then wow. going then going to his physio clinic at the night time and getting treated with him there. Sometimes sleeping on his house. Wow. He put so much. He put, but he but again, he didn't have to do that for us. Yes. But he did, and I, I knew like, what I owed him. So, fifteen month on, I get seven reserve games in. Didn't have any issues with what was yeah. going on in my head. Um, and then you play Malaga, yeah. you wave a cup, uh, you're at home, Malaga, four minutes in the game, I heard this big bang. Four uh, minutes. And I look around, I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, you bastard, you've kicked us. And I turned around, and there was nobody around us. And Alan Smith ran over, he said, what's the I said, I've been kicked. And then the pain started coming, there's nobody there. I looked down, my leg was just hanging like flopping, the Achilles. Have you seen, um, oh, what's the movie? Is it Hostel? Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, it's sick. There's a clip in that where the guy's sitting on the chair and they, they've slit his both his Achilles tendons and ask him to walk out. And I, I just, oh. I remember being in the movies just vomiting and my missus going, What's up? I said, That's, oh, I That's remember, what happened to me. I remember that when it snapped. <laughs> it was just a sick bit. Like, so, if any of the kids are listening to this, sorry about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, so I, I literally did that. Yeah. And that was, I knew it was going to be seven or eight more months out because Michael Dubry done it the year before. Now, after being out 15 months working so hard, the whole thing of, you know, your motivation, your drive, your, your future, and it was, I'd gone, yeah. basically gone, you know, and um, yeah, I went through a pretty dark period. Thankfully, the physio, again, kept pushing us through. 
um, family met me met me missus at the time and um, had my, had my mum and dad there to help yeah. us through that. And a lot of the lads got on board as well, but you know there's there would be a lot of people that have got issues. A lot of lads are coming out with that have had men, mental health issues that you don't know about. It's it is something that people will go through even if you don't know what you're going through. And yeah. it's, it's all different forms of it. It's just recognise it now. Like I say, I was in a dark place. I didn't want to leave leave the house. Sometimes I leave the curtains drawn for three or four days and wouldn't leave and Dave was ringing us saying where are you coming to train I wouldn't I wouldn't be going I didn't want to yeah. you know you, when your mates are ringing you and you're not answering your telephone yeah. and you're not replying to text messages and things like that you, you until you recognise it you yeah. know yeah because so, I, I, I like so I, I think amongst football the football community say I think it's maybe a dis it's not thought about as much or cared yeah. about as, and it's re- it's, I think it's a very important thing for injuries and yes, people look at footballers and go, oh, they earn 50 grand a week yeah. or whatever, but yeah. this is a real thing. Well, I had a big goal, I had a massive goal that was Aaron Lennon, um, mm-hmm. Leeds legend, Everton, had a um, dilemma last year, yeah. um, was in a really bad space, got, got arrested to save his own life. And there was, you know, there was a headline saying, how can a 50 grand a week player be depressed? And I just and I ripped, I ripped in on social media. I ripped into the to the the journal that was on there saying you're an absolute ass. What has wages got to do with depression, you dickhead? Mm. And it it kind of went viral, mm. and the article got taken away. So we felt like we'd actually got. I didn't yeah. do that, and yeah. just but you know just to to do that and. It it was almost like saying you you can't only the poor people would be depressed. Well, you know, no. please do us a favour. So thankfully, Azza has gone through yeah. the right thing. There's a lot more um, safety nets involved now with the PFA. Um, Clark Carlisle's another one that's really gone yeah. hard at that and and brought more awareness because women go out and have coffees mm. and go to the movies and women chat to each other about yeah. and have decent conversations about life and they listen to each other. When we go out, the lads, we want to have a drink. We want to tell stories and have have a yeah. good a good discussion about crap and sport. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you're telling me they how how are you doing? How am I doing? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know. Yeah, you just carry on. Yeah, we should talk more. Yeah. And you should oh, say yeah. if you, if you're having a shit day. Yeah. You should say to me, oh, by the way, I had a crap night last night. This is what's happened. Yeah. And you'll be surprised how many lads will say, oh, well, actually, last week I had this, so I'm going for this with my partner, or this is a gambling. It, it's incredible and the more you talk about it the more it's just been a taboo subject and I'm pleased that there's a lot of lads who are actually standing up Chrissy Curtin just done an amazing interview mm. I didn't realise Chris had so much anxiety as no. a goalkeeper in his career that was a that was a great read so yeah it's out there and the more people I talk about and bring awareness to it the more people that are in the street yeah. are going to talk about and instead of going out and saying yeah, it becomes, a normal, part of it becomes a normal part of conversation we become more humane um, Michael, I feel like I'm keeping you, but no, I've, carry I've on. Got, I've got a bunch of other things. Come on, on then. Yeah, you left off. Uh, you left the UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, short stints at Newcastle, Bolton, yep. Bristol City, Carlisle. Yeah, Carlisle, love it. And then you came to Sydney on loan. Yeah. Um, and you had a short loan here for just like. 10 it's like games. guest guest player stint on loan from Hull. Yeah, guest player. Um, went back to the UK. Yeah. And then you moved to Newcastle Jets permanently in 2009. Um, how did that all come about? Like, what's it was after having a taste of the A League with Sydney FC, and it being so short. I was there with Janino, who's you know the World oh, Cup great. winner. Yeah. Oh, what a what a what a player! I learned so much of him. Lovely lovely guy. And I fell in love with Australia. I love the people. I I love the the warmth. Because yeah. when when I had a lot of injuries, you cold winters in England. You used to have to, especially our colleagues, it was bloody freezing. <laughs> uh, I used to have to get on the bike early and do a, you know, get your body warmed up. Yep. And I always had like joint issues, so I was on loads of tablets for the for the joints. Um, 
and to stop the stiffness and you know the stop the arthritis kicking in the old you get you know what I mean. <laughs> so when I when I was in Australia, I noticed that I was waking up. It was warm. My body was already warm, and I was going out. I was actually playing football and enjoying it again. I got my love for the game back at Carlisle, and when I went back, I was like, oh my god, that was like ten games. It was so short. I want to go back. And I tried every avenue to try and find out how do I get back daily because I could see the game when I was there de- developing. I think the the coaching now compared to what it was when I was there was not non existent back then. It was just to get the lads out. I was going to say on first day one, turn yeah. to training. Yeah. What goes through your brain? Um. What am I? What's it going to be like? Yeah. What the players going to be like? What's the coaching going to be like? And I realised early on that the coaching wasn't great. Mm. Uh, <laughs> at the time, but the, the players and Popovich was there. Yeah. Was and I was I was impressed with the the talent that was yeah. coming. Um. But there wasn't really anything in the youth. That, yeah, coming yeah. through it was a lot of senior players but it was great and the fan base was brilliant the Cove and Sydney FC fans was absolutely class so I, I got a feel for the game and I could see what they were wanting to do with the coach and the youth system and things like that so I, I wanted to come back and when I when I got the opportunity via Harry Kuehl to come to Newcastle Jets mm. um, I thought well where's that oh it's two hours north of Sydney alright okay let's let's go then I thought oh no they're not going to like it because then I remember I scored against them for Sydney FC and we won 1-0 at their stadium I thought oh, they, are they going to embrace us is it going to be one of them but anyway I came over six month contract yeah. Harry sorted that out for us got over here and basically ended up signing a two year deal and rang the family and said Let, let's make this move yeah. and I knew it was coming to the end of my career yeah. but I knew I was playing football again I was loving it it was warm it was a great lifestyle to bring the kids up and I could see the game developing at a massive rate with the grassroots yeah. with kids girls and I thought it'd be nice to stay over here play a part and pass on some knowledge and like you say it was a uh, I had five years at the Jets as a and player he's still in Newcastle now yeah still live in Newcastle so it's it was funny when I arrived in Newcastle the similarities is crazy because I'm from a coal mine and background in the northeast. East yeah. um, I played for Wallsend Boys Club as soon as you come off the freeway there's a place called Walls End. I lived in Jesmond in Newcastle. There's a Jesmond here. There's a Dudley. There's a Hexham. I lived in Hexham in the northeast. It was just, it was just really, really weird. But it was twenty degrees hotter. Yeah, nice beaches. Nice beaches. It didn't just take the dog down there to have a shit. You actually, you, can, you know, you can actually sunbathe and do some stuff with your kids on the beach without getting worried about seeing horrible things. So it was, yeah, it's been, been an amazing part of my life. And now, like you say, I'm just thankful now. I've, I've got them connections in the UK that can get players out here. Mm. And do things like you say, my mate Ben's out here now as well from the northeast. He's he's seen the light as well. Yeah. And we're, we're playing a part in the development of, of kids' futures, whether it's juniors or or senior players. Yeah. And the other thing that you know I've talked about bringing players out here. Obviously, Ben, that's lying on the couch over there, has given a lot of ex-players that have been released from clubs in the UK that have got no future in the game yeah. or they've gone out to lower league levels that they're coming out here and they're earning money and they're getting jobs out of it yeah. and that's what, what the, the lads are doing so there's Paul Arneson's out here as well now yeah. um, he's at what club's he at now? Yeah, up in Brisbane Camulcha so you know there's a lot of lads that are coming out here and doing that kind of thing as well and then that's that's what it's about if you're giving back to the game there's nothing better and that's what I'm yeah. all about you know I, I love talking about football I love being involved in the media talking about football I still love playing it, even though I'm still as shit as I was. Um, but yeah, it's 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 enjoyable. It's good to give back. And do you um, have you done your coaching badges? Yeah, that was a that was a big eye opener because players think that they're instant coaches. Yeah. So when I went in, I'd already had my C license, but I thought I want to go and review it, and I'll try a different curriculum over here. So I did C, B, and A license in Australia. Uh, start me pro in February, and I think there's a burn design every player that wants to go into coaching and management so that is one thing that I, I had a taste of at the Jets 
loved it being the assistant manager and coaching mm. the youth team and you know working your way through and learning and obviously I had enough of Nathan Tinker and all, all his antics there resigned but there's been this burn desire that's what you want to do in. yeah get back in that's yeah. it so that's why we go through our badges and, and if you'd asked me anybody that I would have said would not be a football coach out of everybody would be Harry Kuehl yeah, because he was he's doing a Crawley. Yeah, he had a go at the twenty twenty threes at Watford. Yeah. Because Harry was the when I look back, even he admits it, he was a nightmare coach. Yeah. He was all natural ability. <laughs> if you had to give him direction and instructions, he was like, No, no, no I'm not doing that. Yeah. And set players if he wasn't on them. because yeah. we had Ian Hart, who had a left foot wand, you'd see Harry with his tail between his legs wandering around like a lost soul, and like, Hey, you're involved in this, yeah. well, whatever. <laughs> he was one of them. So for him to go into be a coach now, I think is that that's what we laugh about now. And I'm, he's, he's doing a great job there with Warren Feeney, next Leeds player. So yeah, we've all got a burn desire there. The media's nice; it gives you a family life. Yeah. But there's something inside. I think all footballers, if you've done your badges and you've had a crack and you've seen some of the people that have had a go at management, you think I can do a far better job than them. Yeah. Whether so, it's coaching or management, you know. And if, uh, with the A League. Yeah. What do you see as the future of the A League? Like, if you want to get back into coaching, do, what does the A League need to do? Do you think to go to the next level? Like, is it a bit stagnated the last year? Yeah, it's massively was- stagnated. There's, I mean, like I was, we were talking earlier about people that are involved at the highest level. I think some of them still need a, a reality check and a wake up call, and could do with some outside or external advice. And I don't see many of the ex, as I call it, the golden generation. Mm. Yeah. You see Popovich coaching, brilliant. You see Muskie coaching, awesome. Johnny Aloisi and Craig Moore is involved in up there. But I don't see enough of the other lads like Harry Kuehl was turned away from here. Mm. Get them in, get them involved and yeah. give them advice and be mentors or ambassadors or get advice off them what it takes, you know, what could be done from clubs that they've done at uh, and things like that. So the, the A-League at the moment, I, I feel it is stuck because of the TV rights deal. It needs yeah. to be on free, free to air, but like on a channel that I. He's only on one channel. It's, it's on one channel, say. yeah, yeah. I'm not going to mention the channel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's on a channel, uh, but you know we watch, we watch, we watch it on. You get all the games on Fox, which is which is great. It's back to back games, but not everybody gets to see it and spread the word. And you, you want it on that. And the other big thing that I believe, and I would love to see the the best year that I had in the A League, not not me personally, but when I was still playing, but loved watching the other games. And it got so much global. Is when we had Del Piero, Emil Heskey, and Sinjiona. We had a player yeah. from two two well-renowned figures from Europe. One in England that was like kind of like, oh, we've had Fowler now. Yeah. England people are watching the A League. Yeah. Lads are going, how do we get out there? It, Italy because of Del Piero's quality actually got their own TV station to watch all of Sydney FC's games. That was massive. Yeah. Spreading the word. And Sinji is an absolute legend in Asia, so they had that. And you've got huge Italian and Asian populations yeah. in Australia. And sponsorships were flying through the door towards yeah. the FFA yeah. off the back of that. I know that Maserati wanted to sponsor Sydney FC. It wasn't allowed because they've got Hyundai. Yeah. FFA wouldn't allow it. Um, Melbourne Victory, I think, had, I might be torn out with two, but I think it was Emirates, but couldn't because of FFA. But Quantum, yeah. So the owners now have gone, hang on a minute, if you're costing us sponsorship deals off the back of this, something's got to give. There's got to yeah. be a happy medium somewhere. And I think that's where it's come to the locker heads now. So we, I don't see marquee players that are that yeah. that of that magnitude. Exactly. The M- MLS are still doing it. Yeah, what they're doing, they're still getting gates. They're still getting TV rights. They're still getting sponsorships. Sponsors need that. TV needs that. And I think that's one flaw. The FFA haven't gone and got major. Need some major names. Yes. Yeah. And uh, okay, to finish up, yeah. I've got a few quick fire questions. Oh, this is the part I dread. Well, it's, it's, it's I love talking, so I can't give one word answers. Well, no, well, we'll try and keep them short. But there basically, is. on the shed. Yes, I did listen to a few that you sent nice. through in the link. Very, very impressed. Enjoyed it. 
I did the. I, I'm trying to think what the name of the first one was you sent through. It was the second one on the list. There's Puyol, and there was. Um, I can't remember. Babble, babble, babble. Babble, babble. That, that was the one. I <laughs> loved it. That was quality, yeah. So there's me, Dirk, Jeff, and Rog. Yep. We go over and over the same things that bother us about current Premier League teams that we care about. Yeah. So I want to get your little opinion. Little on, opinion, long opinion, or very up, short opinion? Right. Come on then. So I'm a Man United fan. I can't fucking stand Jose Mourinho. I wish you'd have told me that before we start this interview. <laughs> I certainly I'm wouldn't have cracked back, open a beer. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have had a beer with you. <laughs> so since 1990, the FA Cup final against Crystal Palace, I'm a Man United fan. Um, when we won in extra time uh, in the replay with Lee Martin. Yeah. But Jose Mourinho is our coach right now. Yeah. I can't stand the guy. His demeanour, everything about him, just pisses me off. <laughs> I think he's a complete tit. Yeah. What's your opinion on the guy? My opinion on the guy, I couldn't agree with you more, but what I do see, I see a man that has a, a plan, right? He's a winner. Mm. He, has a, he, he has a plan. Now, it might not be the, it's, it's not the most attractive. Right? So what he did at Porto was amazing. What he did at Inter Milan, fantastic. Where, when he was manager of Real Madrid, mm. you don't have the tactics to play like Barcelona. So what did he come up with? He came up with a plan, because nobody else could. Mm. Nobody else could be Barca. He came up with a plan to go, right, we're going to nullify this game. We're going to be as boring as batshit. Yeah. And we're going to stop you scoring goals. And we will get a chance in the game where we are going to take you on and get a goal. He gets the goal. They win the game. Yeah. All right, let's see that one. Then they go to Chelsea, they're playing. Remember, the, you know, like, he, he's a, he has wins. This season, it came back against the smaller clubs. What he was doing this season, absolutely amazing. Smashing teams, smashing... Yeah. Straight away, this, this was the telling tale for me against Liverpool. I'm thinking, right, you've got the confidence, you've got the backing, the players are on board, the fans are loving your football. To a degree. Yeah, well, you know. it's, it's scoring goals, it's a bit more interesting. Liverpool, open play, Klopp, the press and all the rest of it. And I looked at that team in the marina, I went, oh, he's doing he's going back. He didn't he didn't give the players the responsibility and the belief, the backing. He's almost said to the players, we're shit, we're not good enough to beat Liverpool, we're going to defend and we're going to do... I believe Man U with that team now should have gone and gone at them hard and gone and smashed them and had a had a go. And I think, like in my opinion, if they had, then they wouldn't have lost to Huddersfield, and then you've got that momentum, and you don't have this. But you got you got the result against Liverpool, correct? Yeah. Yeah, but what does it do? It sets a tone. The player, well, the players now have kind of it. It has an effect on you. Yeah. I'm telling you, as a player, that smells of bullshit to me because you go and you go, oh no, you didn't back us, so. But I cannot sit here and have a go at him for his tactics because his table is full of trophies. All the players he's played with will thank him for what they've done. You win the, you win last year's Europa League. Yeah. You get into the Champions League. The the guy has a plan. The guy will win things. Now, if you can, if if I'm a fan and you're a fan of money, that you can't stand your gaffer. If you have two trophies at the, on the table at the end of this season, would you be happy? Of course, but there's a way to do it. And, uh, but, if, when, but if he goes and goes the other way against what he believes in you might not have them two trophies on your table so there's a, this is the massive discussion the topic yeah. I look at Pochettino I love the way yeah, we play he does it. lovely play yeah. uh, our results against the top teams in the Premier League yeah. the top six are shambolic yeah. I look at that Saturday I think it's one win out of yeah, but all the away games frightening yeah. playing great football but I would rather see a trophy and say right we've played like Mourinho but we've got a trophy hallelujah we brought the case Dirk is a Liverpool fan right is it Klopp's fault or is it the player's fault in the defence of the keeper like we argue constantly whether is this a Klopp tactical thing 
Or is this actually just because he's got shit players? <laughs> so look at the look at the front players: Coutinho, yeah. Firmino, Mane, Mane, Salah. Salah. Right, you can't you can't coach them. Let them go out, do what you want. You can teach them how to do the press that, that he loves. He loves that work with. When they get the ball, you cannot coach and say to Mane, right, I'm going to control you with the, the control yeah. pad and I'm going to do whatever you do with FIFA, you know? You can't do that. That's just pure... You can get the combo player going, you can give him a bit of structure. You look at the defence, right? Very, very bang average. In fact, yeah, like you say, it's shit defending. Yeah. Other players, shit no, because when Lovren was at Southampton, he was outstanding. He was excellent. Um, Milner plays left back yeah I agree shouldn't, shouldn't be there but did a job better than Moreno the goalkeepers very vulnerable both of them don't don't think they are Liverpool standard Reina was the, the one for me absolutely magnificent so I believe that Klopp's tactics defensively he has got a massive is it what do you say when you've got a, a, a kink in your armour yeah yeah he he has got the press. He's got the press off to a tee, going forward, winning the ball high in the park, and going and doing it defensively. If he he has not got anywhere near the genius ability of defending like Sean Dyche does, yeah, like Mourinho sets up, yeah, he can't do that. It's against his philosophy to defend and get his team organised like that. But when he, because what Liverpool do, they play with such a a spread when they get it. Fullbacks bomb on, centre half split. Yeah. There's gaps everywhere. So when you lose the ball, the transition they need to work on their transition moments. Of how to get from an attacking style into a narrow pack defence, he doesn't like doing that. So it's a tactical flaw that Klopp has, and he's been exposed not in Germany but in the Premier League massively. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, last two quick ones. Jeff's an Everton fan. Yeah, oh poor bastard. Yeah, who's he signs coach? Um, I hope Jeff doesn't laugh when I when you tell him this or he hears this, but. I would like to see Eddie Howe yeah nice get the job I'm going to um, and have a, have, a, have a go there it's famous on the shed I'm an Eddie Howe hater <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so that so that, that timing it, that, 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 that leads us in nicely to your next Everyone question else likes him yeah I've, I've just got a theory that the press and the media like him because he's blonde and a little bit pretty and speaks well <laughs> whereas actually is he any good I've never worked under him, but what I do know of everybody that speaks him that's played under him, um, Ian Hart was there with him at Bournemouth, um, says the guy is absolutely amazing. Yeah. He is a, a, his door's always open, his man management skills are, ama- like you say, yeah. believable. Yeah. He gets the players to, to believe in their product, he plays very good football when they, when they yeah. get it on. I remember the game against Arsenal last, last season or the two seasons before, they, they play football. It's a possession-based game. They got exposed a few years. It's the first time I've seen him getting exposed because he's changed his tactics from back three to back four, back five this season a lot. But I really enjoy this style of play because I see him. He's almost gone away from the old, the what they call the English coach mentality of four four two. Get it yeah. in the final third. Let's play. He's actually done what Wagner's doing at Huddersfield. Huddersfield. They play football. Yeah. Um, Swansea were doing it under Martinez and Monk and Rogers. It's there, mm. you know. And I would like to see Eddie have a go with a bit of money. Yeah. Um, the biggest factor that I think that went on there was a shambles. You can't, you can't Everton fans. When you lose Lukaku, you want it. You need a striker. Yeah. So you go and spend. You go and sign another three midfielders, and it's like, hang on a minute, we're inundated. We've got Ross Barkley. But why do we need Rooney? Yeah, and then Sigurdsson. and all that kind of stuff. So great, great players, but Everton need a striker. Yeah. And yeah, but going back to the management, Eddie, Eddie Howe, and oh, who else could we chuck in there? My Sean Dyche was my shout. 
Because I, I think he's earned his stripes. He's earned his stripes. Have a go, definitely. Um, or the other one is uh, Pellegrino. Yeah. Who X Man City? X Man City guy. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. That's my thoughts. Lastly, Roger is a Bristol City fan. Right. Did you ever play for Bristol City? I did. Yeah. Did you, how many games did you? Have? I was playing. Um, Tinian signed me. Yeah. He signed Marcus Stewart first from Sunderland, and then Marcus rang us up. He said, "Listen, Tinian wants you." you and I was surplus requirements at Sunderland. I remember speaking to uh, Mick McCarthy. He said, "Listen, yeah, get yourself down there." He said, "We'll, we'll sort something out." Went down to Bristol. Tinian lasted six games. He got the sack, and a guy came in, Gary Johnson. Oh yeah, yeah. And that was the end. You know what you think of Mourinho? Yeah, yeah, I think that's Gary Johnson. Small man syndrome. Man yeah. management absolutely disgrace. Wow. And basically, every the, the, the funniest part about when I look back, I felt like he just wanted to banish me and Marcus Stewart because we were come from Premier League yeah. wages. We'd yeah. taken a wage cut to join them after so much about Sunderland, but we're still like obviously up there yeah. as top earners at the club. And he came, and we thought, oh, he's making a play for me. And he was just to get us out because we're top earners. He can bring his own people in rather than having a go with us. Um, but everybody that Tinian signed, Gary got rid of. There was six or seven of us. Yeah, so it was a. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't great. Not a good time. Well, Roger's question: Do you think it'll get promoted this year? Have you seen the players? Got a hell of a chance. Really good chance. Now it's um, it's interesting because it's his son now. Johnson's son's there, isn't he? Yeah. So at least coming and done it. How he's turned out to be such a good coach after following his dad's footsteps. <laughs> uh, he's probably doing everything. He's, he's probably doing everything that his dad did. He's doing saying right. I'm going to do the opposite. And I've, I know how he works. I've I've seen his stuff. He I watched some of his stuff on um, online actually with the Bristol training. How uh, we got a got a drone in the, to watch the play oh, from nice. a, from a height, which you know for an English you got you look back and you think that's brilliant, good on them, and I do believe that they've got a hell of a chance. You answer your question, no. Yep. I think it'll be Wolves. Fuck you, Rog. That's for you, Rog. Yeah. You're not going up. Uh, there you go, Rog. I'm sorry, mate. No, I don't think they will. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Wolves are gonna go, and I, I don't want to say who else because I really would love to see um, see Leeds come back. They've yep. had a really really bad slip, but. Um, Cardiff are looking yeah. Neil Warnock tidy. gets promoted a lot he does and that's what I think There's some some divisions need that yeah. you need a gaffer that knows how to get up and Warnock's one of them yeah. and as soon as they get up get rid of him so World Cup year it's coming up this year do you reckon as an Englishman I get excited every year and uh, ignore it I went to Brazil last time and uh, well that was a write off yeah <laughs> weather was beautiful I, tell you, I, was, I, was, I was cheering on Australia because I was embarrassed <laughs> to wear the English shirt um, but you get you get to the World Cup and you get excited you're like yeah this is it we're going to do it and you suddenly get this weird bit of hope yeah and the last few weeks we win the under 17 World Cup we've won the under 20s and Spurs beat Real Madrid 4-1 five of the front seven are English you've got Rashford Stones Sterling playing great in the Premier League I know exactly what you're going to say are we going to win the World Cup well you've just had that massive high there you've talked it up <laughs> and yet again you know what's going to happen we're going to have the biggest fail ever the floor <laughs> It's gonna come back. It's um, it's actually been a really good year. What what I'm loving this year is being proud of England fo- English football again, and knowing that we it's not Spain winning all the tournaments at the youth levels. It's not Germany winning all the. They they have got a production line. Germany when you you think they won the Confeds Cup with their B team as I call it. Yeah. And I look and I think right they're doing something so right they've got it, and that's right the way through. But then, like you say, the twenties, we won the World Cup. The seventeens, and you're going, oh, hang on, this is this could be a great year. 
And I look at the England squad that that um, Southgate's put together. He's played a massive part in the the youths. Yeah. And I th- the when they were talking about getting the England manager, I remember he was one of the biggest things. Was saying, listen, it's not just about who's going to be the manager. We need to keep this going right the way through. And I understand who's coming through and what we're trying to develop. And I, I you know, people saying it was a crap appointment. I thought it was a really good appointment. I'm happy and I'm delighted that the everything that's going on. Yeah. I'm not going to. We're not going to go to this World Cup, and we're not going to see. Harry Kane taking corners like we did under Roy in the Euros. <laughs> he's going to be in the area where he's meant to be, yeah. scoring goals. So I'm I'm really looking forward to this um, to this World Cup. And I, if there's any time, it's now. It's yeah. it's this it's this World Cup. Yeah. You want to make a statement and just just put everything to bed and get bring back '66 because I still remember the Gaza and Lineker semi final against Germany when Gaza cried and Lineker's looking at Bobby. Yeah, that was the closest I think we've got in my lifetime that we'll come to see in England but that, in that tournament we were actually crap we scraped through the group we yep. played Egypt and Ireland I think in yep. the group and someone else I can't remember who and we scraped through beat Belgium in the last minute Belgium was the was it Platy with the yeah. kick then it was Cameroon with Platy again yep. and that was like two penalties we, we were, got we were getting it done we were getting the job done and that's what we put it in our heads that we were playing brilliant football. We didn't. We were awful. Yeah. But we straight through, but, yeah. and that's fine. Correct. And that I'll take that. That's a Mourinho. You know, I'll, yeah. that's it. You Mourinho <laughs> tactic. As long as we get silver, I don't care. Yeah, crap, we play. Make Jose Mourinho England manager. I'm fine. <laughs> we're flying. But it's you know, it's just great. It's actually it's good to be. It's been a great year to be English, and you've got to yeah. you've got to credit everybody that's involved with the with the, the like what's going on back there. Paul Simpson got the twenties. My old manager at Carlisle, absolutely buzzing for him. And this, yeah. yeah, we're going into this World Cup for the for the first time, thinking, yeah, we've got a we've got a real good chance because of the young, they're fit, we can play, and the lads are playing um, on a regular basis. In the and they're pretty, they can do it against the big time, yeah. the Real Madrid. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, yes, yes. Bring on the World Cup, yeah, bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben shaking his head on the couch, no, saying, no, no chance. The typical Englishman. <laughs> um, Michael, thank you so much. Awesome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, for everyone else thank you for listening to this Football for Said special uh, I hope I haven't sent too many people to sleep nah everyone's had a fucking great time good man especially Ben thank you for the beers no worries (laughs) 